Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here today to bring you our monthly voices interview for the month of July. So if you're new around here, Megan and I take turns doing these interviews. So she's not here with me today, but we will, of course, be back with you on Tuesday, as always. And I can't wait to share today's guest with you. So the backstory on today's episode is that we have gotten a lot of requests from listeners to talk about preparing your home and your family for natural disasters, which, you know, is not the most fun topic, right? Like I am totally that type of personality who avoids thinking about things that make me nervous. Or I even do that thing where I think if Brian and I actually sit down and go through our earthquake bag, for example, and talk about an evacuation plan, that I'm somehow going to tempt fate and then an earthquake will happen. So that's a little embarrassing. I hope I am not alone there. But the truth is we have listeners from all over the world who are in flood zones. They're in wildfire country. They're in tornado and hurricane areas. You name it, you're probably in one. And like I said, we've had probably half a dozen requests in the past year or so to cover the topic of preparedness on the podcast. And when you all ask, we listen. After doing some research and talking to our community, I decided to reach out directly to the Red Cross and ask them to connect me to a great guest. I'm so glad I did because while there are a ton of awesome resources online for printable checklists and more local or specialized advice, the Red Cross is an organization I've personally followed and donated to and listened to for years, and I knew their advice would be data-driven and practical for families. So I got to talk to Jennifer Pippa, who is currently Vice President of Disaster Programs at the Red Cross. She actually got started as a volunteer in 2004, and after Hurricane Katrina in 2005, she was the volunteer in charge of a Red Cross service center in Raleigh, where she was living, assisting some of the nearly 3,000 evacuees who sought refuge there. And shortly after that, she accepted her first paid position with the Red Cross, where she's been ever since. When she first got started, she was a caseworker for local families affected by home fires, which is why you'll hear her speak so passionately about home fire prevention in our conversation. Jennifer is also mom to a college-aged daughter, so we talk about raising disaster-prepared kids, how to talk to kids about preparations without frightening them, 
and how to make basic preparations part of your family culture in a regular and totally not scary way. In fact, in general, this is not a scary conversation today, friends. It's really practical and uplifting, and it actually made me less afraid as we head into wildfire season here in Santa Barbara. I hope you'll listen through to the end and take Jennifer's recommendations for the simple actions we can all take this summer to keep our homes and our families safe. And hey, if there is another topic like this one, something Megan and I aren't going to be able to speak personally to, but that you think will help other families, hit us up with a guest suggestion or an interview request. We're hello at themomhour.com. We read every one of those emails that come in and we do listen when you have ideas. All right, friends, please enjoy my conversation with Jennifer Pippa from the Red Cross. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being on the Mom Hour. Hey, Sarah. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I am too. And we have had so many requests for information uh, like this from our listener community. So I'm just so grateful that you are spending this time with us today. And we're going to get right to it. We're talking about uh, disaster preparedness at the family level today, um, what families can do. Um, But I want to kind of start to set the tone for this conversation and acknowledge that this can feel really scary to people who maybe have only seen, you know, big disasters on the news and haven't had anything personally happen to them in their lives, or maybe they have, and that feels scary as well. So I would love your thoughts and just from your professional background of how we can think of these, these very practical disaster preparedness tips that we're going to share today but acknowledge that this is a scary topic for a lot of people. And sometimes when we're scared, we actually avoid things because we, we don't even want to we don't even want to let our minds go there to that, you know, that worst case scenario. Absolutely, Sarah. You know, I think a lot of times fear um, and, and the feeling of being scared, it, a lot of it actually comes from the unknown uh, and not knowing what would happen next. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that we really try and focus on is is some preparedness ahead of time so that you understand what might potentially happen. And even if it's in very simplistic terms, you know, when we're, we're speaking to small children, elementary, preschool children, some very basic conversations with them about what could happen and just remove some of that unknown. It also gives our kids a space to feel open and, and the ability to ask questions. You know, one of the things we found um, my daughter, who's who is in college now, but when we talked about preparedness as a young child, you'd be amazed at the questions that that might be bouncing around in their head that you just need to give them the space to actually ask that question. And sometimes they're really simple questions like, you know, will I get my teddy bear, right? And mm-hmm. and will the teddy bear come out with me? And sometimes they're incredibly profound questions like, well, where will we live? Mm-hmm. And, and where will I go to bed the next night? And I think by having just even some very simple conversations with our kids ahead of time, it allows them that space to ask those questions. At the same time, it removes some of that unknown from them as well. Sometimes our imagination can be our own worst enemy. Uh, yeah. and, and experiencing a disaster and talking through what might happen really helps kind of anchor some of those concepts down for children so that they can really begin to understand what they are in control of and how preparing ahead of time um, can make them feel like they do have some kind of control over the outcomes of what might happen. And would you say it would, it would seem that as adults, we need to do our own work first, probably of 
kind of acknowledging where we feel fear or where we might not understand what, you know, what the risks are or what. So let's let's take some actual disasters as an example. I live in fire and earthquake territory myself, and we'll get into that later. We have listeners all over the country and all over the world. Um, But I myself have experienced that kind of fear about either wildfires or earthquakes. Would do you have any thoughts on even for the grownups to just kind of acknowledge that this is these are real, uh, real feelings we're having and also that preparedness is one way to kind of take back that control, as you say? Absolutely. So I think I think education about what your most likely disaster is going to be, right? Mm -hmm. So something that's universal, unfortunately, are home fires, right? It doesn't matter if you live on the West Coast or the East Coast, North or South, home fires happen every single night. So taking that kind of as your foundational step in preparedness feels sometimes a little more manageable. It's something you can wrap your arms around. There's some specific concrete educational pieces you can do to prepare your family just to simply evacuate from a house fire. And by doing that, you're already taking steps to prepare your family for those larger scale, you know, kind of CNN-based disasters that we see, earthquakes, wildfires, tornadoes, those kinds of things. And so as parents, it's our job to be prepared, right? It's our job to know what the most likely disaster scenarios are and how you need to follow instructions from your local government, county officials about when to evacuate, when to stay in place, Um, And being ready for that at a moment's notice, especially in places like where you have wildfires or earthquakes, those are those are what we would call like a no notice event a lot of times. Right. Um, And you're going to have to evacuate immediately um, or you're going to have to shelter in place. And so being prepared, having supplies ready, being educated about what the most likely scenarios are helps you feel prepared. And kids take that. They read their parents. Right. And so if you're in control and you feel like you've got at least some kind of understanding about what's going on and how you're going to handle this. Kids take their cues from us all the time. So even us just simply being slightly prepared really translates down to a little more security for our children, if you will. Yeah, I think that's so smart. Um, And I, I empathize with the parents who have avoided this whole topic because it feels scary for them. And that's what we're going to try to kind of um, tease out today is why these small steps toward preparedness can be so helpful and maybe even ease some of that anxiety. I would love to kind of follow down the path of the home fire because as you said, the the regional weather disasters can be so different and we'll dig into those a little later, but can you just talk us through um, family preparedness for an event like a house fire? Absolutely. So there's, there's a couple of things, even um, with our, our, our younger age children that we really want to drive home fairly quickly. And, and one of those is, is the noise that a smoke alarm makes, right? And that when you hear that smoke alarm go off, that they should be able to leave the house within two minutes. And so those are simple things you can do every month doing practice drills, getting the kids familiar with the sound that a smoke alarm makes uh, when it goes off, uh, that they need to remove themselves from the house as quickly as possible. And and one of the things we find that really helps um, even our children kind of ground themselves is a rally location, right? So Mm -hmm. the problem is, is sometimes people go out the front, sometimes people go out the back um, and they don't have a place where the family meets. And so someplace away from the house, be it a swing set, a tire swing, a mailbox, those kinds of things where you say, when you get out of the house, you come here and you wait here until mom or dad shows up. 
and, and this is where you stay. It allows everyone to get out safely. It allows you to count noses to make sure that everybody's accounted for. And it gives your child some very simple, actionable things that they can practice on a monthly basis. So it just kind of becomes part of their every month activity. It takes some of the fear away because they're used to practicing things like that. So those are, those are some simple ones. Some things that we also think about is letting kids know what firefighters look like when they're all geared up right? Mm -hmm. We go by fire stations all the time. They look like moms and dads. Yeah. But yeah. when they're coming in for a fire, they have all of their gear on. Um, and that can be quite, quite unsettling for a small child. So letting them see what a firefighter looks like, letting them know that they're there to protect them and that, that these are people that can help just like your mom or your dad can. Those are critical pieces that we can actually do. That doesn't, it doesn't cost you any money, right? It just simply costs you a little bit of time each month to practice those drills. Um, and that helps kids understand that they can actually take specific steps to protect themselves from a disaster as well. It can be a very empowering kind of experience yeah. for our kids. And it's no different than the drills that they do at school, which I know parents have mixed feelings about because those can be stressful on kids too if they're not done well. But for sure, the practice is, is helpful. Um, and I love normalizing that. Are there any things that um, I'm thinking of our listeners with babies and very young toddlers who aren't even there yet in terms of um, practicing this themselves? Um, but the, are there any um, home fire, either prevention or evacuation tips that are just go to's for families? You know, uh, what we do, one of the things the Red Cross offers actually is um, what we call it's called a home fire campaign. We actually go out in neighborhoods and we, mm -hmm. we visit with with families and we talk to them about how to get out, how to test your smoke alarms. If you don't have a working smoke alarm, we actually have free smoke alarms that we can install on your behalf. Um, and those are really some of the things that we can talk about, especially with infants and, and, and toddlers where someone else is going to have to go get them. That's, right. that's the other piece is, is a, a division of duties, if you will, inside your household, right? So if the husband's going to go get child A and, and the mom's going to go get child B or those kinds of things, that way we're not deciding that at the moment that the disaster yeah. is occurring um, is a critical one. Knowing that, and, and it sounds simple and it's easy to say now in, in, in this calm kind of conversation, but everything else is replaceable. Nothing yeah. else needs to leave that house but your family. And, and, and that is the priority. And, and stopping anywhere along the way to think about getting anything else is just, it's the wrong choice for you to make at that moment in time. But you need to get your kids, you need to get your family members, and you need to get out of that house immediately. Because two minutes goes by really, really quickly. Um, and and we, want, we want you to be as efficient as possible in gathering everybody up and getting them out of that house. I'm so glad you said that because I admit I like thinking about the weather disasters that we're going to talk about after the break. Like my mind goes to like the passports, the documents, and we're going to talk about that a little later. But I it was, it's really helpful to hear that in the case of a home fire, like do not do any of those other things that might have to do with your evacuation plan in another scenario. But if the house is on fire, it's humans and that's it. Humans and pets next, I assume. Yeah. You, yes, you don't want to think about anything else. Yeah, I mean, we, we consider our fur animals part of our family, of course. Um, and that was part of our responsibility, too, was somebody was in charge of getting the dog, right? But everybody right. had a role. They had one single role. They performed it, and they got out of the house. Um, things, you know, like pictures, all that sentimental stuff, it's, it would be horrible to lose. 
Um, but losing a loved one is, is just something we don't even want to consider. So taking those protective actions. The other thing is, is you can buy yourself a fireproof safe, right? Or you have a safety deposit box. You can protect some things that are maybe have sentimental value, um, but, but leave those behind. You know, firefighters are amazing and, and we see it because we respond to fires a lot, but you know, they even go in and try and protect things at times. You'll see them go in and put tarps over things to try and yeah. save items, even as they're pouring water on that fire. So there are other trained professionals that can take protective actions to try and save some of your your possessions but but none of us are those trained professionals and our job is is to get out of the house and get out of their way so that they can do their job in the most safe environment possible i love that sarah we both know this time of year can be crazy so this is a great time to get ahead with no prep no mess meals from our sponsor factor I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code MOMHOUR50 at factormeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately, the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather. But please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Motion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, so as I mentioned, I live in wildfire and earthquake territory, but we have um, listeners from all over the world, mostly in the United States and Canada. So we have tornadoes and we have hurricanes and we have flooding and we have wildfires. And um, this is, I think, where the moms in our community, at least what I'm picking up on, is feel like they haven't done it right or they haven't done enough in terms of having that earthquake earthquake bag prepared or knowing what to grab if they have to evacuate. So 
we're going to spend some time here, Jennifer. We'll, we'll kind of start and I'll, I'll bug you with follow-up questions. But I guess what I'd love to hear is, are there differences in the lead time and in the advice you give, depending on these different types of regional risks and disasters? And are there some similarities? And you can kind of start with whichever, whichever you'd like, either the differences or the similarities. So we really, um, when we're responding to disasters, we kind of put them in two categories. There's the notice events and the no notice events. So notice events are things like hurricanes, right? Where, where you see it out there, you know it's forming. You may not know exactly where it's going to make landfall or, or the, the intensity of the storm, but you have a general concept and you have some time to take protective actions. You even see that now in some of our weather forecasting with tornadoes. You'll, you'll hear them talk okay. about TORCON ratings, right? So you're kind of getting a heads up that there, there is a potential for some severe weather um, to occur. And then you have things like wildfires, which sometimes can give you some notice. You, you can see it pop up. You can watch it. You can see as it's coming closer to residential areas. But unfortunately, there are a lot of times where a wildfire will pop up overnight and it's right next to a residential area. Yeah. And so there's you need to move immediately, right? You need to be listening to your officials. So there's there's a couple of things we talk about here is one, listen to your local government officials. If they're telling you to pack up and leave, you need to pack up and leave. Do not wait it out. Do not see if they might be wrong. You do not want to be the person left behind when they made the right call for people to evacuate and you chose not to. So first and foremost, get you and your family out of the area if they're talking about an evacuation. There's all different kinds of things, traffic, road accidents. We wanna make sure that people have the time and they're listening to their government officials about when to leave. But in the situations where you don't have any notice and you have to leave at a moment's notice, those can be really challenging. And so one of the things we talk about is a go bag, right? And so in a go bag, you're gonna need stuff for you and your family. The other thing I recommend is, you know, kids take comfort. They have special animals or a blanket or things like that. And if it's something they sleep with, then maybe it's a post-it note on the top of your go bag to remember to do that. But being able to take that blanket or that animal will provide an immense amount of comfort yeah. to your child. It's something that they remember. It's something that they can hold on to um, and would be really helpful in such a massively chaotic environment at times. The other thing is, is that unfortunately, a lot of our disasters have seasons to them. Now, you in the West, your wildfire season is getting, it's starting earlier and earlier every yep. year. But there's definitely things you can do. When you get into your wildfire season, you want to make sure your, your car is full of gas, right? That's yes. a critical one. Um, and so never letting it get below like a half a tank so that if you need to leave, that you're not sitting at a, at a gas station trying to wait for gas as well. Um, we talk about this a lot, but people forget during power outages, cash is what you need. Your debit card, your credit card, those are not going to work. Right. Um, and what you don't want is a stack of $20 bills. You want ones and fives and tens because places won't be able to make change after a fairly short period of time. So even having cash that's accessible to you, um, broken down into small denominations, that go kit with a list of maybe extra items. In this case, medication is another one that we really, yeah. really, really want to pay attention to. So if you have somebody that's on life-sustaining medications, you want to make sure that if you have the opportunity that you grab it. Now, those medications can be replaced. So if you can't find them quickly and you need to evacuate, evacuation is the option you want to pick there. But 
in the moment that an evacuation is ordered, there's a lot of chaos. So simple lists about things that you really, really need to make sure that you need to put in your go bag that wouldn't be in there on a regular basis is a critical piece in making sure that you're kind of prepared and your family's ready to go. Showing your kids the bag, that they understand that that's yeah. where our stuff is, that that's what mom and dad is going to take when we have to go. Once again, it shows them that you know that there's a potential that something could happen, but you're prepared for it, right? Yeah. That you've planned for it, that mom and dad can take care of you, that you're going to be okay, because we've done our diligence as, as adults and as parents to make sure that we're well-informed. I, I know as a parent, when you're looking at a disaster, it can become simply overwhelming in, in a matter of minutes. You yeah. start to think about my house my, you know, where am I going to live, the cars, jobs, kids, schools, it can become really overwhelming. So the ability to do a little bit of planning ahead of time and having just a couple of things in your go bag is going to alleviate some of that stress as well. And unfortunately, just not thinking about it just really isn't, it, it isn't an option for us anymore. Right. Um, right. It doesn't matter if you're in the West and it's, it's a wildfire or an earthquake, or if you're in the, you know, middle of the U.S. and we're looking at tornadoes or floods. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't matter where you live anymore. There's probably some sort of natural disaster that it has that has the chance of impacting you and your family. And so we just need to try and be ready for those. I, I mean, I love those specific tips that you gave, and I have a couple of questions. Um, sure. Is there an ideal place to keep the go bag in the house or garage? And I mean, I personally have like, agon not agonized, but I have wondered this, like, in the case of an earthquake, like what if I can't get to my earthquake bag? Is there, right. are there any like tips for that? So I will tell you this, there's a couple of things we've learned over time um, by the front door, but I'm, I don't like clutter. So that one really would kind of drive me bonkers. <laughs> right. So, I mean, just as a personal preference, we put our go bags in our car um, okay. or in the trunk. One of the things we also do, um, we lived in, I lived in Georgia for a bit of time and, and we had a propensity for tornadoes, unfortunately. One of the things I learned to do fairly early on was I left sneakers by my bed and my car keys on my nightstand. Those were really okay. things that you need that even if something happens in the middle of the night, you have access to those. You're not running around trying to find those items. So um, for us, go bags is where you most likely are going to exit. And since most people have vehicles, that's where it is. If not, if, if you are reliant on public transportation, then, then you have an additional planning step you need to think through, right? About right. how you're going to get out. Now, it could be that you could carpool with a neighbor or a friend um, or understand the public transportation system and what might potentially be used. A lot of times, in, in especially in urban areas, if they're going to order an evacuation, there will be a transportation infrastructure there to help people who don't. But you want to get plugged into that early. You want to know about that months before you might potentially need it so that you right. know where to go to order to get to a, a subway or a bus um, or whatever they're going to use in order to help you evacuate the area. Because part of the government's job is not only to make sure that people who have cars can evacuate, but people who don't have transportation have a way to, to leave safely as well. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, my other question about the kind of evacuation process, especially in the no notice or the short notice is you mentioned keeping a list. Um, and I can imagine, like you said, several things that might not be in that go bag. Is there like, is there a smart way to make sure that everyone in the family knows where that list is? You talked about like monthly, like with the house fires, like a monthly practice. Is there like a, a place where people keep, I'm almost thinking like, you don't even know where the list is because you're so overwhelmed. So what's, what are the shortcuts for our brains that we can 
just know what to do. And then the list can guide us the rest of the way. Right. Yeah. We just need to get you to the list. Right. So for us, it was one of two places. Um, For a while, we had it on our refrigerator. Um, And then after a while, we actually moved it to the door. Um, And it was to the door that you use to get out into the garage to get to the car. Um, And then in a place where we didn't have a garage, it was on our front door. Um, And we put it on the list there. I even actually like made a cute little frame around it. So from Mm -hmm. a distance, it actually kind of almost looked like a picture hanging on the door. Once again, that's a personal thing, but um, it was there. It always stayed there. It never left. It's, It's a key piece. The other thing that you could put in your go bag, which I forgot to mention is you may not need your original documents, but copies of some of your original documents. Okay, are I was, a great that was idea. a follow up too because we don't keep our original documents right. like in a go bag, but copies is a smart thing. Yeah, if you could keep a copy of say all the medications and prescriptions, that's a huge one. So that way, even if you don't take the medication with you, you can contact your pharmacy and get them to do an emergency prescription refill for you. Copies of your driver's license. Um, your homeowner's insurance, right? Just your homeowner's agent insurance. The other one is just a list of people you need to call. It's another one when we talk about evacuating or being impacted by a disaster, you want a central point of contact that other family members are going to call into that's not Mm. you personally, right? So for us, we live in D.C., So my mom and my dad, they live in Florida. So what we do is my mom and my dad are our call to. So if we have to evacuate or if something unfortunate happens here in D.C., my husband and I and my daughter will call my mom. Then every other family member around on either side calls my mom to check because the phone system in the impacted area will go down. But the ability to call outside the impacted area is huge. So having a designated kind of telephone operator for your family is key in alleviating stress from all of your family members, but you also know. It's also for us if we get separated, right? My husband works yeah. in one area of DC, I work in another. So if if something happens and we can't get together, I can call my mom and say, this is where I'm going. And then when my husband calls in, my mom can convey that information to him as well. So having that kind of central information repository when you're evacuating is key, not only for the family impacted, But goodness gracious, it's for all of your family members that aren't in the area, right, who are absolutely worried about how you're doing and what's going on. And the last thing you need is 800 people trying to call you when you're trying to get your family out. Right. Right. So let 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 someone else take that burden for you and your family. Um, And that really makes a huge difference in in being able to clearly communicate with everybody where you are at any moment in time. That's so smart. And it brings up another question I had, which is uh, many of our listeners are quite a bit younger than I am and probably than you are. And everyone's relying on their phones and social media. And I'm wondering if you've seen in the course of your career, some of the both advantages, of course, but also limitations. I'm thinking of things like if you're used to like having a group text with your family all the time that's working and now like texts aren't going through, like people don't have landlines anymore. Like people don't listen to the radio anymore. Um, What are, what are some things we can have our listeners think about that that might be limitations to their smartphone reality. Right, right. So I I go super old school. I cannot remember any phone numbers of anybody anymore. So I actually have them written down and they're tucked behind my driver's license in my wallet because eventually my power on my phone is going to go out too. And I need when I can get someplace. um, I mean, who has a pay phone anymore even? But when you can get someplace where you can borrow somebody's phone, you want to be able to have the phone number so you can actually call folks. Um, 
Social media is great, right? If it works and if you can get connectivity. Uh, one of the things we talk about is, you know, especially on iPhones, there's iMessage and then there's text messages. Yes. Sometimes text messages can get through because it requires less bandwidth. So even just sending a text to your mom that says, I'm okay, right? Mm -hmm. Simply three letters, your phone will try to get that out and may have a higher success rate of doing that than you would in iMessage or trying to log on to Facebook or Instagram. Post a video, you know, (laughs) right? We're doing I shouldn't be making light, but yeah. But yeah. yeah, that's how people communicate nowadays. So you really need to think through that. And once again, that's why having that one person outside the impacted area as the designated communicator will help as well. Um, but you you really do need to be ready for the concept that the cell phone system most likely will go down. So you need to know how to get out of your area without Google Maps or Waze, <laughs> right? Some of the things that we take for granted every single day aren't going to be available to you. And so you need to figure out how to how to get out. Um, you know, we've seen it a couple of times when we've had unfortunate, you know, terrorist attacks. You can't get a cell phone signal. Right. Um, so you've got to figure out how to get out. Um, so, oh my gosh, an old paper map, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, where do you even buy those anymore? Or printing it out on online. But you're not going to have access to some of the electronic systems that we have become incredibly dependent upon. And so think through your day. Um, and if you needed to leave, how would you do it if you didn't have any electronics to get through it? And, it, and if you can figure that out and figure out where, where the gaps are in your plan and then address those, you and your family are going to be significantly more prepared than probably, unfortunately, a majority of people who just think they pick up their cell phone, type it into ways and off they go. Right. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, so often when when I think about like disasters, I think in very binary, like life or death terms, which is scary. And that's part of the reason why people get very afraid. But as you talk, another thing that's occurring to me is let's say my family was evacuated due to a wildfire in the area. And let's say it was, you know, a calm evacuation and my house didn't burn down and nobody I know lost their loved ones everything you're describing makes that experience much smoother and much less traumatic on my kids and my family. And it's not really life or death in this, in in this hypothetical scenario. It's more that, okay, we've got to get out fairly quickly. We're going to be staying somewhere else for a few days. We've got to keep the family informed. And how can we walk that process so that it's less upsetting for the kids and less traumatic. And maybe we look back and think, well, gosh, we're so lucky. And, you know, that wasn't so bad because we had what we needed as opposed to driving around, like you said, looking for an ATM that works or trying to refill a prescription. So I think at least for me, this is really helpful in in seeing this on a continuum rather than like we're dead or alive, um, to, to be really frank. No, no, I think that's really fair. I think the one place we we find this happens more than any is is when we have power outages, right? So in the West, sometimes there's preemptive power outages, mm-hmm. right? That they're turning off hurricanes and tornadoes. It could be an event-based power outage. I don't think people realize how many things they have that are powered. Yeah. <laughs> that they don't have a, they don't have a non-powered option, right? The simplest one that everybody seems to forget all the time is a can opener, right? <laughs> Most people have an electronic can opener. Right. So it's powered by a plug in the wall. You you that's not something you it's going to be helpful to you if you're in an extended power outage. Right. So so there are things like that. There's also safety tips that we really recommend. So you can go to redcross.org slash prepare 
Um, and you can look up things that you shouldn't do. Sometimes folks do things for the right reasons, but it's the wrong choice, right? Mm. So they may bring a grill inside, right? Or they're trying to get out after a flood and they're, they're, they're going through water where they don't know the depth of it. There's unfortunately, a lot of times, death and injury of disasters doesn't necessarily happen at the onset of the disaster. It's the immediate recovery period afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So the other piece is to not let your guard down. You need yeah. to be just as diligent those couple days post-disaster as you do during. People are tired, right? Yes. Your adrenaline has gone down. You're probably not sleeping well. The kids are, 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 are concerned and stressed out. Um, and that's where you can kind of let your guard slip a little bit. And, and that's one of the places we really need people to think through their processes. We have emergency apps. There's a host of emergency apps. The Red Cross has one. It talks about how you prepare for something that might happen, how you respond in the moment, and then the recovery steps afterwards. And it helps to kind of divide that up into three segments to have your family kind of wrap yeah. their head around each one of those, right? Prepare is something you can do from now until the onset of the disaster. The response is usually typically pretty time limited and short in duration, but that recovery piece, we kind of take for granted a lot. And that's one of the places we need to pay attention and make sure that we're we're making the smart choices at that moment in time and not, you know, unnecessarily uh, endangering you or a family member or anybody else. That's that's so good to hear. And by the way, listeners, whenever um, Jennifer or I are mentioning one of these things, we'll link those all up in the show notes for this episode. So I imagine, Jennifer, there will be a big long list of links and resources to the various things you're mentioning. Um, and we'll get everybody to that in one central location. So. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place dot com code mom hour. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. 
Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high quality and traceable key nutrients in clean bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. All right, Jennifer, this is so helpful. I'm rethinking all of my own um, disaster preparedness. We've, d- we've done some things, I think, but um, what I'm realizing is that it just has to be updated constantly. It's not a set it and forget it type of thing. Um, so this is really helpful for me. And I, speaking of revisiting, I imagine that when you have babies and very small children, your disaster preparedness plans, your go bag, your like everything we've just spent the last half hour discussing would be so dynamic and ever changing. Like you, you literally might've added a kid or two to your family since the last time you packed a go bag. So is this something that you and the Red Cross have thought about? Are there specific um, preparedness tips for families of infants, for example? I'm thinking like formula or car seats or what What are some of the things that maybe I'm not even thinking of that impact families with babies and really small kids? No, I, I think you're spot on. You're right. And, you know, kids go through diapers, you know, and change diaper sizes, what it seems like every four weeks, you know, right. at, at some stages. So, you know, making sure that you've got that formula is obviously a critical one because we know that, that you want to sustain the same formula, but the formula will eventually, you know, age out and expire. Mm-hmm. So simple things like just checking your go bag. I, I would tell you every month might be a little munch, but probably every three months or every, you know, every quarter if you could. Um, or, you know, check it if you've got a couple of kids. Their birthdays are usually, you know, kind of spread out. Check it on their birthdays. Something that, that means that. something to you, right, that you can commit to doing. Uh, I think the other thing is, is understanding where everybody is at any moment in time and who's responsible for them, right? So we talked earlier about dad gets, you know, the toddler and mom gets the baby. Um, But what happens if the toddler's at preschool, right? So the other piece of this as a parent is understanding what evacuation and safety plans and protocols are in place if your children are not inside the home with you, right? And who is going to be responsible for picking them up? Um, it's another place that you want to check. You don't want to try and figure that out the day you're trying to get your kid during a disaster. You want to know about that ahead of time. Um, and that helps them be prepared as well. For kids too, you know, it's, um, it is consistency. And, and even for toddlers, um, if you've got a notice event, allowing them to pick, pick something of value to them, right? Whether it be a book or a blanket or a doll, um, but giving them the power to make that decision and allowing them to take that, that gives them kind of a concrete thing. They made a decision. And while cognitively they may not totally grasp that, it makes a huge difference in them feeling like they have some kind of control over what's going on. Yeah. Um, you having a go bag and having most of this stuff already thought out means that you are a, a calmer, more organized parent at that moment in time. And yeah. like we said before, kids take their cues from their parents, right? And so, hey, all of us were first-time parents at one point, and we all know you fake it until you can make it, right? And this is <laughs> yeah. exactly where you want to be now. You want to have a go bag packed 
and you may be quite nervous, but what you want to portray to your kids is mom and dad know what we're doing. We know where we're going. You're going to be safe. We're going to be okay. Um, And let's just, you know, let's make this an adventure. This could be fun. And, And just simply doing something as simple as that really makes a difference, not only in the immediate Um, aftermath of a disaster, but in the resiliency of your kids, right? They feel like they have confidence in their parents and they're doing well. Now, if something goes haywire and and somebody has, you know, a minor meltdown, whether it be a parent or a child, (laughs) it happens, right? We're all human and that's okay. And that's not going to hurt anybody in the end. So allowing some space for unpredictability, they are disasters and by nature, not very planned um, or organized. And so having a little bit of flexibility too, I was always a type A mom. I had a list. We did it Mm -hmm. in a process. I wanted it to go, uh, you know, absolutely according to plan. It doesn't always happen. The other thing you can do with your small children too, is you can you can give them times to try things out, right? To, 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 to do an exercise. Hey, let's, let's, let's think today we may have to leave at, you know, in the next five minutes, what's everybody taking and let's get in right. the car, right? So you can make it a game. It can feel very normal to your kids. It can be something that they've seen, they've heard, they felt they've done before. And right. that really becomes very comforting to them because then if you have to do it because an actual disaster is coming, you know, you never know. It, it, yep. it, it can be something you can do. I, I, I will tell you this um, funny story. My daughter, when she was quite young, a toddler, I was teaching her about stranger danger, right? Mm-hmm. And so I told her, if somebody grabs you in a parking lot, you know, what do you do? Well, you need to yell, this is not my mommy, this is not my daddy, right? That was, that was what we taught him at the time. Uh-huh. I was walking into a Costco. I told her, so how, how would you yell that? And she said, well, I'd say, this is not my mommy, this is not my daddy. I said, well, no, you have to yell it. So we walked into the Costco and she yelled it. Oh, no. <laughs> so I spent quite a bit of time with the Costco folks enjoying ourselves for a while. I but you know you what? Did. It's important to practice. And it's not just important to practice at home in a very controlled environment. It's important to get out. I will warn you, you may want to just think about the, the, the environment when you do it. But it, it, helps, it helps the kids understand that that could happen at any place at any time. Yeah. And it helps them become much more flexible in things. Yep. And that's really an important piece. I love that. I love that. You mentioned uh, preschool or daycare briefly. And I want to talk about that a little bit more because we have a lot of listeners who are in this stage of life. Um, so one thing I want to ask about is when you're choosing a preschool or a child care provider, are there, are there questions parents can ask without feeling like, I mean, I think sometimes we don't ask questions because we're not even sure what answers we're looking for. Are there some things to to notice or to ask about that would make you feel really good about the preparedness plan or the evacuation plan at a child care center? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as a as a parent and as an adult, you'll know what the most natural potential disasters are, right? What your highest risks are. It would be very helpful for you to just ask an open-ended question to the preschool or, or, or to the elementary school. You know, what are the disasters that, that you guys have in, in your plans? Mm-hmm. And what does that plan look like? Even something as simple as that will show you that they've done their due diligence and, the, and that they have a planning process. Um, if they look at your kind of questioning, you know, maybe we want to talk to somebody else or, or, or think mm-hmm. about it or connect them with an organization that might help them become more prepared. 
Right. Um, but those are the kinds of questions you want to ask. I never, as a parent, should you feel uncomfortable about questioning for the safety of your child, right? Yeah. That's the utmost important thing. And if it makes somebody uncomfortable in the process, well, you know, you're a parent, you're doing your job. I, I, I think asking those tough questions is, is, a, is, is not only important, but kind of necessary as you're looking out for your kids. Um, yeah. and, and who knows, you can point them to additional resources that can help them become prepared as well. But it also helps you understand if something were to happen, how you get connected quickly um, and what their process is, which is not only important for you, but it's important for your child to understand, right? If they're a toddler, they can understand some probably pretty basic concepts about, you know, you may have to leave the classroom, but mom will come get you because they're going right. to tell us. And, and those kinds of simple things to just let them know that something may happen, but mom's aware and mom's going to come get you or dad or or Aunt Sue, or, or whoever is that designated person for your family. I almost, as you're talking, I almost am starting to see that this needs to be um, an element of conversation every time we go through like a life transition with our kids. So like every new baby, every new caregiver or preschool situation, and not that it's got to be this big, heavy thing, but that um, disaster preparedness is a piece of each of these transitions. And if we think about it that way, hopefully it will become more automatic. Like, okay, we're moving to a new house. All right. Well, that's a good time. Like what's our disaster? What's our evacuation plan at this new house where the kids are starting a new school or we're hiring a new nanny or, you know, I can just see how this, um, I, I'm not saying I've done it this way cause I'm a, admitting I haven't thought that way, but it really, really should be a piece of the conversation at each transition as we move through family life almost. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, as your kids get older, there are different conversations that you have, right? There's a different level of detail where there's different, you know, uh, tactics that you want to use to have that conversation uh, with your, your children. Um, the redcross.org, and we'll put the link in, it has a lot of different ways to talk to your kids and it's broken down by age groups, which I oh, think is incredibly great. helpful. There's some coloring books for our younger kids. Um, there's some pillowcase that talks about packing some stuff that's important to you if you have to evacuate. Um, very kind of empowering. It also has some suggestions on how to talk to your kids, not only to prepare for a disaster, but if, heaven forbid, something happens, how you talk about it afterwards with your children as well. And, and so there's a ton of resources out there for parents now to help them kind of navigate those conversations and know that you don't have to have every answer, right? By definition, right. a disaster is unpredictable. You know, so sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Your dad and I will figure it out, or your mom and I can figure it out. Those mm -hmm. are the kinds of things you want to just let your children know that, you know, you may not have every answer, but you, you, you can figure it out and you can make sure everybody's safe and taken care of. I love that. Um, and I also think that anytime there's uh, something at school, like a, a disaster drill at school or the firefighters come to talk to the class is another great jumping off point. Um, I loved at the beginning of the episode, you you talked about kids having questions. And if we don't know what their questions are, we don't even know where to start talking. So I think anytime there's something happening at school is a great jumping off point to say, tell me, you know, tell me what you did at school or how, how do you think that would work in our home? Or what if you weren't at school? Um, so I think that's another really helpful homeschool connection. At least that's one that I have used. In fact, the last time we talked about uh, disaster preparedness was after my elementary schoolers had a drill at school. And I was like, oh, well, why don't you teach us and let's do that at home? Like, how would that work in our house? 
Right, right. And kids tend to think very black and white, right? Well, this is what I do at school. And you're like, well, actually, the same things apply at home. Let me show right. you how, right? And so right. it's a great way to bridge between the two. And like you said, you know, at some point, we really want to strive for preparedness to just become part of your culture of your family, right? Mm-hmm. And, and by doing that, and by talking about it on a regular basis, and having exercises, and, and giving everybody a chance to ask questions, it takes the fear and some of the the unknown away. And that in and of itself will help better prepare your family and will absolutely lead to a more resilient family if you, heaven forbid, you end up in a disaster of some. Yeah. I love that. Well, Jennifer, I want to wrap up this conversation by kind of shifting gears and actually talking about what our kids and our families see in the community around them when there is a disaster and we are not immediately affected, but we are witnesses or it's happening in a nearby town or, you know, in the state where grandma and grandpa live. I think kids and, and adults can feel really helpless when we see these, especially large scale disasters on the news. Um, most recently, I'm thinking of Texas and it was a few months ago now, but um, the people being without power and heat for so long. Um, do you and your team have ways to talk about this as with kids and as families where we can, maybe there's something we can do to help. Maybe there's language to give our kids about um, how to support when it's not our family. Do you see what I'm, I'm not uh, yep. saying this very well, but you <laughs> see where I'm going. I do. I do. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, it, kids can feel um, overwhelmed and, and powerless, even when it's not their immediate neighborhood, right? It could be states away, yeah. um, but seeing something that really speaks to their, you know, how sad they are, or they feel powerless. And, and there are ways, and there's a couple of different tactics you can use. One is talking about if this were to happen, you know, at home, how would, what would we do, right? What would our plan be and how would it work? That's one piece because it empowers them to understand that there's there is a plan for our own house, you know, but sometimes it's about helping other families, right? It's, it's about taking care of other families. So talking to kids about, well, if you were in that, what, what do you think they need? Do they, do you think they need help? I, I, I worked as a a regional exec in a couple of chapters across the U S and I got to tell you the best, best gifts I ever got from families, you know, are a couple of kids who decide they want to do a lemonade stand, right. And whatever, you know, the $5 that they raised, they want to bring to the Red Cross chapter and donate. They they can do that. They can donate that to a nonprofit. They can feel like they contributed something for folks to, to, to help them recover from a disaster. And I, I think that's an important piece to understand that, you know, while you may not be impacted, you do have the ability to help somebody who does. Sometimes it's writing thank you notes, right? Mm-hmm. Or writing yes. notes of hope. Um, that you can then send to those families. You know, we used to receive letters in shelters sometimes um, that we would share with Red Cross clients. And what is more comforting than knowing that a family that you don't even know halfway across the U.S. is is thinking about you, right? Yeah. And just wanted to let you know that that they hope that you're okay and that they're praying for you. I mean, what yeah. a what an incredibly powerful thing to do. That's so personal. It's so genuine, um, and it's so simple to do. It really helps kids see that they have a way to impact even a stranger's life that might have been impacted by a disaster. I love that. I love that so much. And I think a lot of times, a lot of parents are understandably wanting to shelter kids from the most gruesome news and the kind of stuff that plays out 24-7. And I think sometimes in the effort to shield them from that, we don't talk about it at an age-appropriate level. And so 
I think what you just said is such, it's not mutually exclusive. We, we can turn off the 24 hour news cycle so that our kids aren't traumatized by images they shouldn't be seeing. And quite frankly, that are probably traumatizing to adults as well. But that doesn't mean we can't have simple age appropriate conversations about, you know, there was a fire and some people's houses got burned. And what would that be like? Can you imagine what they feel like? And would you like to draw a picture and all these things that you just mentioned so beautifully? Um, what I love is we those two things aren't mutually exclusive. I do think it's important to shield kids from things that are are really upsetting or might, you know, give them nightmares for months. But that doesn't mean we don't talk to them and kind of encourage that that natural empathy that they have. Yeah. I, and I think giving them some space to ask questions because sometimes we don't even realize that they've picked up on things, right? right. Sometimes it's, it's news in the background and, and something sinks in for them that may have just, just kind of washed over us. And so I think having that space for them to ask questions really helps you as the parent figure out where their head's at and it helps you support them and how they process and how they react to some of those, those events. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, is there one practical thing that you would love to see families do this summer? Like it, they're overwhelmed. They don't feel like they've got their go bag. What's the very first thing you would do other than probably head to the show notes and, you know, get that redcross.org slash prepare. But is there like a, a tangible thing that you hope everybody does in their homes like this weekend? Yeah, I think there's, it's something really simple. It's take your kids test all of your smoke alarms and make sure they're working and yeah. have and run an evacuation drill. It, yeah. it simply, I mean, our organization alone responds to about 60,000 home fires a year, and that's not even every home fire that occurs. So right. that is a simple, free, great, ongoing educational gift that you can give to your kids that they'll keep with them no matter where they go. Yep. I love that. That's so, so doable. So I really appreciate that. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for all this information and listeners. Again, the show notes, right? Wherever you're listening, have those links. Do you want to say the Red Cross link one more time, Jennifer, just for sure. people who are just listening? Yeah, actually. So you could go to redcross.org and just type in prepare in the search box and it okay. will take you. The first couple are actually about helping children prepare and respond and recover from disasters. I love it. That's so great. Well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of this great information. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. 
Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.